It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We've got injury updates from Zach Taylor's Monday press conference, and that inspired Joe and I to talk about some of the changes that we might be seeing in terms of who's starting, who's getting snaps, and what that means and what we saw against Arizona that really makes these players coming back potentially difference makers. The biggest injury news from Zach Taylor today, as it has been for the last five weeks, is no, A.J. Green is not ready, and no, Cordy Glenn is not expected to play. However, Alex Redman was activated off of the suspension list. He will be probably on the active 45-man roster this week against Baltimore. And the left guard position has been problematic for the Bengals, so he'll certainly get some looks there. But the offensive line also had a pretty good week, against a solid group in Arizona led by Chandler Jones and Terrell Suggs, who really didn't produce at all against them. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't notice either of those guys all game long. In terms of the run game, it was as good as you could expect. I think the combo blocks, especially between Trey Hopkins and John Miller, and hey, Bobby Hart had his best game of the year, especially run blocking. I thought he opened up a couple of nice cutback lanes as the Cardinals were respecting Andy Dalton and the jet sweep motion, maybe a little bit too much. The other team's uh, throughout the season so far have not respected it and have crashed down and, and closed off that backside cut lane uh, for the Bengals and Joe Mixon. So I, I think it was uh, until they adjusted was their best running performance of the season and in pass protection, their best pass protection game of the year as a whole. And this is without Andre Smith who had to leave and John Jerry replaced him. And I didn't notice him in a negative way either. I don't think there's much of a fall off from Andre Smith to John Jerry. So maybe this speaks to some degree to the Cardinals. Terrell Suggs was playing with a back injury, so that might have slowed him down a little bit. But by and large, the Cardinals didn't seem to have a good pass rushing plan against the Bengals, who have been susceptible to a lot of pass rushing tactics this season so far. And their linebackers, as Joe mentioned, weren't really crashing down on the run the way we've seen from teams the last four weeks. After that first drive, though, the Cardinals responded by bringing a safety down into the box, respecting the run a little bit more, keying in on it. They started crashing on it. The Bengals, though, continued to run into eight-man boxes and sometimes made it harder on themselves by running condensed formations and motioning receivers into the line of scrimmage, which made it, just from a numbers perspective, untenable. Whereas you go back, you look at the first drive, and they were running with numbers advantages on one side or the other of the center. 
The one spot on the offensive line that really struggled, and this is true really after the first drive, was Michael Jordan, who started out the game well enough, did his job on enough plays. As the game wore on, started to make mistakes, had a false start in the red zone that led to the Bengals stalling out, kicking a field goal. Not that you can blame that all on him, but the Bengals haven't been able to overcome those penalties this year. Yeah, and the Bengals were taking advantage of a light box early for the Cardinals, but then once the run game was working, you could see the Cardinals, like you said, bringing that extra safety and almost dare the Bengals to beat them with their receivers on the outside. And without A.J. Green and John Ross, and maybe the slowest receiving core in the league at that point, you could see Willis and Auden Tate really couldn't threaten on the boundary. And those guys had decent games considering they're the fourth, fifth, and sixth receiver, if you will, on the team. But without that threat, the Bengals really were struggling to open up the middle of the field and allow their tight ends and Tyler Boyd to get open. The play-action game wasn't really part of the game plan early either, which you would think would bring those linebackers up and open up that middle-of-the-field intermediate area. We didn't see a ton of that from the Bengals this week until maybe late in the game when they started going middle of the field a little bit more. But for at least the first three quarters of the game, the Cardinals were essentially single high, cover three shell the entire game. And that does take away the middle of the field for this sort of offense. But the fact that there aren't even routes running to the middle of the field for much of the first half, Alex Erickson, the slant that he was concussed on, that's one of the very few examples from the first half when they actually tested the middle of the field, makes the Bengals a lot easier to defend. So early they come out with the run, Cardinals adjust, they keep the cover three shell. That makes it, the Bengals have to win on the on the perimeter. They don't have the athleticism there to do it with the current personnel. A.J. Green unfortunately won't be back this week, but will make a big difference. And as the Bengals offensive line held up pretty well in pass protection, so did the Cardinals. The Bengals defensive line should have been able to take advantage of a weak Cardinals offensive line, but they couldn't get to Kyler Murray all game in rewatch. I thought they were... Uh, conscientious of their zones and their their pass rush lanes more than they typically have been and maybe didn't want to get Murray to to expand and run on the play or, or, or get break free of the pocket. So that kind of makes sense to me. But at the same time, there was a lot of plays where I felt they needed that third rusher. And we've talked about that before. Carl Lawson really couldn't make the impact. And he had a season, I think it was 46 snaps which is a lot for Carl Lawson coming off his hamstring injury, and he just didn't make an impact when I went back and watched the film. No, he had a tough time going against a not-very-good tackle, which in the past we've seen Carl Lawson feast against. The one bright side, though, for this defense, a better day in coverage for some of these corners. Drake Kirkpatrick had a solid game, and outside of one run defense play that really stands out where he gets blocked into the bench, solid day for him, and a solid tackling day for the defense by and large. We'll see if that carries forward next week to the Ravens game. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. 
Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Jake, I kind of made a pledge uh, from here on out. Since the Bengals are 0-5, we feel like we're on a um, verge of a total either reset or rebuild. And we'll talk about more of that in segment three. But my pledge from here on out is Andy Dalton's not part of the evaluation process for me because I, I feel like it's inevitable at this point in terms of them probably picking top five and being in position to replace him. And just overall, he's not having a very good season. And I don't want to dwell on that. So I'm going to instead focus on the Tyler Boyds, the William Jacksons, the Jesse Bates, the Sam Hubbards, the young guys that should be part of this core going forward. So when I'm watching film, that's those are the players I'm watching and going forward with, you know, in terms of uh, player evaluation. I spoke about this last week when we were all pretty sure that the season was uh, quote unquote done because it is at 0-5, even if mathematically it's not. Yeah, the track they're on, and we talk about this every week, or I started talking about it every week, is looking at their odds of getting a top X pick. If it's top one pick, top three pick, top five pick, whatever it is, the Bengals are certainly on that trajectory, especially after losing to one of the other teams that was competing for that spot. Quick note on Andy Dalton. I know we're not going to dwell a lot on that evaluation. Was solid against the Cardinals. With not much around him, Made some really nice throws there in the fourth quarter. Don't know where that was early in the game. Think that maybe some of the checks were not as good as they could have been running into some stacked boxes. That aside, I agree with you that Andy Dalton is probably not part of the core going forward. Even if you want to build the team before you draft the quarterback, even if you're in that camp that wants to draft offensive tackle, linebacker, corner, edge rusher, whatever you still need eventually the next time this team is actually competitive probably to have a new quarterback. Andy Dalton isn't going to have a Carson Palmer like renaissance. He doesn't have those physical tools that Palmer had that Palmer could lean into. He's not that first overall pick pedigree. So when we're talking about not evaluating Dalton, that's just because we're thinking about, okay, what are the players that matter going forward? And like Joe said, there's a list of young guys. You probably wish it was a little bit longer This has been a conversation that I've been thinking about a little bit lately is the list of players that are the the foundational pieces for the Bengals. Well, a lot of them are hurt. Yes. And that's AJ Green, Cordy Glenn, uh, Clint Bowling retired, but there's just not enough of them. And because there's not enough of them, when you lose a couple key pieces or Geno Atkins comes off the field, well, now everything falls apart because there's not enough there. Yeah, that's the difference between a complementary piece, right, and a foundational piece. One of those guys that I believed, even last year after his breakout year, I still had him in the complementary range was Tyler Boyd. And because I thought, you know, when you're a slot guy that 
is of average athleticism. You really don't take over games that much. You're reliable. You're tough. You're making good catches. Your routes are really good. That, that's all great. But uh, you still need that boundary guy. You still need that outside guy. And I made the case in our opening here that the Bengals still did in a lot of ways last week. But I think after a game like that, when you don't have Green out there, you don't have Ross out there, the tight ends are making no impact. They're not throwing the ball to really any of the other threats on the team, be a running back or any of the replacement receivers, Boyd had a very, very good game. And if you go look at next-gen stats, they show his routes on uh, where he was targeted, and it was from all over the field, the left, the right, the middle, deep, um, outside breaking routes, inside breaking routes. It looked like a number one receiver type of day. And I don't know if we can expect that all the time because – it kind of, because of the, the, how the way the game went, it was weird. Uh, you know, in the first half, you got five catches, 27 yards, and you're like, eh, you know, maybe you can't do it. Just kind of how I felt about Dalton and the rest of the offense in the first half. And then that breakthrough in the fourth quarter, you go, all right, can we do this more often? Can it happen more often? Or is this going to be a product of opportunity rather than, uh, you know, someone where you feel like Green could do that on any given play versus any opponent? But I was happy with the way Boyd played, especially with going back on rewatch and seeing the next-gen routes because uh, that really, to me, looked like a number one guy. Yeah, Tyler Boyd, especially with John Ross now out. John Ross, by the way, leads the NFL in yards per catch and yards after catch per catch. Just in case you were wondering what they're missing without John Ross, all the drops aside, really good in those couple metrics. But I noticed that when I was looking for Tyler Boyd, he's fourth in the NFL in catches. He's top 10 for yards. He's top 10 for first downs. And he's really efficient in a lot of ways that all these guys are. He's getting a lot of first downs per catch. And these are all things you look for in a productive receiver. By PFF grade, he's still, I think, in the top 15-ish range, which is a bit down from last year. But again... He's not like a full number one receiver. He is, no matter which way you cut it, a bit of a complimentary piece. And when A.J. Green is on the field, he's going to make whoever else is on the field with him look a little bit better. Other young guys that I'm looking to watch in terms of whether they can be complimentary complimentary or foundational pieces, I still want to see much more of Drew Sample. There's no reason why he's not out there more often. He did have, I think it was five run blocks and six pass protections this week. And he looks fine in that phase. Of course he does. That's what he was there for. I still want to see him run some routes and get some balls thrown to him. I thought Brandon Wilson, I'd love to see more of him on defense. It was two weeks ago. We didn't get to talk about it. The two plays he made on defense versus the Steelers were standout plays. And then he has some really good kick returns this week. And you go, okay, for some reason, Alex Erickson still their kick returner when Darius Phillips is, was much better than him. Now Brandon Wilson's much better. Other note, I guess, to bring it back to Tyler Boyd also, he was the punt returner that came in on the one punt the Cardinals did have when Erickson was out. So if Erickson has to miss time, maybe we see Boyd out there more. Man, I can't believe they'd want to get Boyd any more touches or chances for injury. Maybe we can get Giovanni Bernard back there to return some. We did pay Giovanni Bernard an extension pretty recently, and he's got, let's see, 26 snaps in this game. Nine of them, sorry, seven of them, he stayed in to block. Joe Mixon, by comparison, 41 snaps, stayed in to block on 10 of those attempts. So not uh, even close in terms of how they're being used. Geo's being used as a pass down, pass blocker for the most part. Got a couple runs, was pretty productive on those couple runs he did get. Still a solid player. 
And he's still getting 26 snaps. So I guess you can't really complain about that usage. It would just be nice to get him some more touches. And like you said, one way to do that is in the putt return game. But I agree with you. Let's see some of these young guys. Let's get Drew Sample on the field. He was your second round pick. Yep. Let's get, well, I would say Michael Jordan, but he's already on the field. And I think he needs some time to season. But on the defensive side of the ball, Jermaine Pratt had a nice little showing. He made a really nice play coming out of his zone and tackling a wide receiver in the open field on a quick little five-yard comeback again it was a free release those are free yards the Bengals are giving up but Jermaine Pratt did his job and that I think he got to the play on time he did to me kind of look like he bit on a play action that wasn't really there so maybe he was a step late but he made a tackle for no yards after catch on a player that had a free release so you know he did his job there and I think we should see more of him because the linebackers are A, not part of the future, neither Vigil nor Preston Brown, and B, are just a huge problem. Even when the defense is getting stops, the linebackers have nothing to do with it, and they're just getting blocked out of plays or taking false steps. If it's not one thing with those guys, it's another right now. Yeah, and they've spent a lot of third-round picks at linebacker, and I just went back to look at these guys to see in their rookie years you know, who played, and it's like Malik Jefferson and, and Paul Dawson played almost nothing, about 10 snaps each. Uh, Vigil played 111 snaps, I believe. Jermaine Pratt's on pace for 109 snaps with 34 so far. This is a much different year than when Vigil was on the team as a rookie. I believe that was 2016 where they still felt like they were a good team. So maybe we get Pratt a little bit earlier. Maybe we see Pratt, you know, hopefully this week a little bit more, nine snaps just this week. But, man, he's grading out pretty well for the pro football focus. Now, small sample sizes are weird, and they will inflate your grade uh, really poorly. If you look at even all the rookie linebackers, it's guys that – the top three guys are – one of them is Jermaine Pratt, number three. But uh, they're all guys that played about 30 snaps. You can tell they're not being targeted or being exposed too much. But his tackling grade's high. He hasn't missed a tackle yet. His coverage grade is high. Uh, Just overall, I want to see more from Jermaine Pratt. I think it's definitely time. And the speed is just a big difference. Just there are a couple of plays when you see Jermaine Pratt coming from the middle of the field, chasing down a play on the perimeter and you see Preston Brown trying to do the same thing. When Jermaine Pratt does it, he's getting there maybe five yards downfield and the angle that Preston Brown has to take is more like nine, 10 yards downfield. And I'm just, I'm over it. I'm overseeing our linebackers having to run 10 yards downfield to catch a toss play or to catch a jet sweep because they're either too slow to do it or too late recognizing or they're getting caught up in the trash and that's more well, actually it's both of them neither of them are stacking and shedding blocks right now right uh but it's more of a problem for vigil getting caught up in the trash yeah it doesn't help in the defensive line it isn't winning consistently and they're definitely not uh some of the hype and some of the splash plays provided by sam hubbard i think have definitely masked some of his shortcomings as a run defender which is surprising to me I always thought of him as a very technically sound guy and a good run defender. He's been anything but that in both categories so far this year. Um, when you watch him, put him under a microscope. There's a lot of odd plays under Sam Hubbard's belt this year. And, I, you know, I'd like to see more from him, but maybe he's just playing a little bit too much. They wanted more of a rotation at defensive end. They really haven't been, been able to do it. Do you think he's trying to do too much? Because I have the feeling that he's trying mm-hmm. to do too much and he's like – losing some of his discipline or some of his edge containment because he's trying to make trying to trying to be Superman out there. Yeah. I can see that the way he runs around, the way he plays, the way he, you know, kind of fire that burns in him. You can see it. Uh, yeah. Maybe he is trying to make something happen that really 
he's more of so far more of a role player than maybe a guy you are that I would, as we said, cornerstone or, or foundational players versus contributors. He's maybe more in the contributor role so far. The other note on the defensive side of the ball is Darquez Denard is coming off the PUP after this week, and Paul Daner Jr. expects him to play in Week 7. So that will bolster a secondary that certainly could use some tackling, some toughness, some run defense. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure where exactly he plays. This is a defense that is willing at this point to go out there with four corners and two safeties. Uh, I guess that's quarters. At yeah. that point, but they did it a couple of times. Tony McRae was out there as a fourth, uh, a fourth corner. He had nine snaps. Meanwhile, BW Webb had seventy-three snaps, so it's not like he was coming off the field. So that's just nine extra snaps for Tony McRae. There could be opportunities there for Dark Wesnar if he comes back next week. Yeah, and if you look at their worst tacklers based on grade of PFF, the bottom two guys are William Jackson and Tony McRae. So getting some physicality and, and run defense from that position wouldn't be a bad idea. Like you said, Traker uh, Patrick isn't much better, but one of the best is BW Webb, and he's been in the slot. So you wonder if they move someone, try and rotate a little bit more with these guys, maybe give Kirkpatrick a rest or Jackson a rest a little more often. It will be interesting to see how they get him out there. And when they signed Webb, we said, oh, he's a very similar player to Dark Denard in a lot of ways. And I think that's really borne itself out uh, For sure. in the grades so far this year. We said we were going to talk a little bit about some trades. There's been some trade speculation. Jason Lacanfora and who was it? Robinson from Yahoo Sports. Both yeah, Charles some, Robinson. Both had some reports about trades. So we'll talk about that here in just a minute for the last segment of the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. My bookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit mybookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. So this is something we've been talking about now the last couple of weeks. I think even Bengals fans and pundits and writers and analysts from local and national uh, have also started to speculate or, or think about what's going on and, and with the Bengals in terms of veteran players, players that maybe aren't part of this core going forward. And, it's a large discussion. I think it's, for me, I rationalize it when I get to the point of, to me, your Super Bowl window or your window of opportunity is when you draft that new quarterback. It doesn't start that rookie year. It starts year two, and it may be open in tier, until year five. I even think when you're looking at the Rams right now are a great example. 
They had to pay Jared Goff. They lost some offensive line pieces. They don't look as good all of a sudden. And sure, they've still got a chance, but that window starts closing after year five. And so for me, when I look at it, if the Bengals draft a quarterback in 2020, that window opens in 2021, and maybe it's open till 24, 25, 26 in that range. But when you think of it that way, you start to say, okay, there's a lot of players that won't be on this team at that point. And some of them are their best players currently now. Players like A.J. Green and, and Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap and Tyler Eifert. And I, I mentioned Eifert because uh, Jason Lockenfor, I, I don't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday, but his report that he talked to a bunch of GMs around the league and said that the Bengals could get a haul if they were to dangle these players out. And teams like the Patriots and Saints would look for a tight end or receiver help. He even mentioned maybe a first-round pick for for A.J. Green, which to me I thought that was crazy. But, of course, we take that, right? And multiple picks afterwards. Let's qualify that first-round pick, though. Okay. Because later today, I think it was, somebody put out top 10 trades that make sense or something. There are two members on the list. Barmo, right. And he had A.J. Green being traded to the 49ers? Yes. For a first... And yep. a future second, next year second, in exchange for Green from the Bengals and the Bengals' second-round pick. So that is a pretty bad return. So if that is the type of first-round pick you're talking about, I'm not necessarily interested at that price because that's not even as good as one second-round pick. Because that's you're trading the value of two third-round picks. Exactly. Trade value chart. Exactly because you're trading back, you're trading up from your second-round pick, like several spots into the back of the first round. You do get that fifth-year option with that, though. So there is some value there if that's another, like, offensive lineman or whatever the case may be, receiver, however you do it. Uh, But, yeah, I'd be less interested. But at the same time, I guess two third-round picks wouldn't be so bad in terms of the compensation. If you let him walk, would probably just be a third yeah, it's better than nothing, and then you get into the same debate around A.J. Green, where the player himself has said repeatedly, I want to stay in Cincinnati, and we have no reason not to believe him, right? But is that what's going to be best for him and his career? Is it going to be best for the Bengals? Right. Is it in anyone's best interest? Really? Is it in anyone's best interest from a rational perspective for A.J. Green to stay in Cincinnati. There's two people I can think of that this serves. One is the Brown family because it keeps butts in the seats sure. to some degree because he's a fan favorite. And two is whoever that new quarterback is going to be. But right. if they trade Green and say they get a second round pick for Green in, in a hypothetical world, maybe they get a receiver anyway because it's a stacked class. It's looking like a wide receiver where you might get a guy who's usually a top half of the first round in the late first or early second. Look at DK Metcalf last year. Look at A.J. Brown this year. Those two guys this year, I mean. They're both highly productive playmakers, dynamic. You could get one of those guys, especially the A.J. Brown type if you're talking about a rookie. Sure, and uh, Lockham Ford did was working under the premise that A.J. Green wasn't going to sign with the Bengals. And... That also extends from Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports on his podcast. He said that A.J. Green's camp, Green would like to sign with the Bengals. He's happy there. He know, he is happy with what he knows and what he likes. He you know is comfortable with the Bengals. But 
his camp, the people around A.J. Green would like Green to go somewhere else, get paid a little bit more, get a little more guaranteed money, and have a chance to win and get a ring and, and produce at a high level uh, while he's still counting for the remainder of his of his career. So there may be some tug and pull there. We saw how that worked out for even Carson Palmer, right? The rumors are that his wife didn't want him to be here. So you, you that gets you to move a little bit sometimes if you're a player or any man, I guess. But my point is, if that's the case, if we take it under that premise that he won't sign an extension, I think then you become a little bit weary of the future in terms of, okay, do we want a 2021 end of the third round compensatory pick or are we willing to take picks to stockpile and get this, what what I say, this window, if it's 2021, 2022, you know, if that's the meat of the window, 23, you want as many picks as possible to be in their prime in that open window. So you want those picks for green now. You want them not not in the, the end of third round in 2021. You want it in 2020, even if it's just a third or a second round pick. So let's talk about some of these other guys that aren't A.J. Green that are probably going to be worth a little bit less. And we'll start with the other guy in that Barnwell piece. Billy Price was mentioned as a fifth round return potentially for Billy Price. And this is a price that you pay. See what I did there? The price you pay for like a bust. It. And that's how the league would have to see Billy Price at this point if they're talking about fifth round value. And I don't know what Barnwell's sources are. He could just be speculating wildly. Uh, but if, if, if I hear fifth round pick for Billy Price, I'm kind of like, all right, yeah, sure. I mean, what's his future in Cincinnati right now? Maybe if we're dreaming about Bill Callahan coming, fixing right. the offensive line, maybe then Billy Price has a place. Maybe they don't retain Trey Hopkins and they put Billy Price back at center, but I don't see a reason that he's necessarily locked into the future right now. They do need a left guard. They need guards at both spots. So maybe he has a future there, but you know, they talk about trading Billy Price, but the other guys that I think the veterans that are more likely to be traded, and I say more likely in in acknowledging that I don't necessarily think any of these guys are going to be traded, but Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, uh, Tyler Eifert, Eifert, those are the big yeah. ones. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I wouldn't take a fifth for Billy Price. I think this is a very similar situation to the offseason when we talked about John Ross trade re- reports and rumors, and that the upside is far worth a fifth round pick in terms of if he ever becomes any type of contributor to this team. Even right now, John Ross, I think would, if we were talking third, fourth rounder before he'd fetch much more than that, just based on the few handful of games and flash plays that, okay, he can at least play at this level and he can be a crazy weapon. So I don't know if price has that upside. I, you know, I maintain that from just both of those two guys being comparable to their pre-draft reports that price was seen as a limited upside guy. But for a fifth rounder where you're going to eat almost all of that guaranteed money, the team gets them for a fifth year option. They really aren't paying them much. That's that's a huge win for whoever would be able to swindle that deal. If it, even if, if it's a fourth, I might consider it because I, I don't know if he's part of their plans uh, going forward. They're obviously not giving him every chance to succeed right now. But on those other guys, if we're talking a second, maybe a third for Atkins. If we're talking a third for Dunlap, talking a fourth for Eifert you really could retool this draft and go in with a lot of picks. I mean, it sounds like that's what the Redskins are doing. It sounds like, obviously, that's what the Dolphins are doing. They've given up picks already. They've got a lot of picks. They've got a lot of ammunition. They're in a great situation. And um, 
oh, I can't remember whose whose piece it was that I read today, but he said the Dolphins are in the best situation of these three teams because they've already started to unload these pieces. They've already had the plan. They've already they're going to have 120 million in cap space next year. They'll be able to go out and sign a bunch of guys if they want. If you have one foot in the door or out the door, however you want to look at it, I guess, like the Bengals may have, and don't trade these guys away, well, then you could be in a situation where you get there and you're still bad and you're not fully committed, so you have a, you'll have dead money because you turn over the roster. You're not getting the, the compensation you could have if you had traded these guys a little bit earlier rather than get compensatory picks the following year. So I don't want to see these guys go, but I think a sentimental part of it also is – if Green or Atkins can go to a really good team and have some postseason success, I think they'll at least get immortalized in the Hall of Fame. And I, that, that means something to me for the careers we've watched. I want to re, I want to be able to say to my kids, hey, those were on the Bengals for 9, 10, 11 years. Uh, yeah, they went to the Patriots to, to get that ring and to play well. But, you know, I don't care at that point. <laughs> I think the dead cap money is a really good point i hadn't thought about that for billy price i think that makes a trade of billy price a non-starter geno atkins the bengals would eat about half of his money is dead money 7.8 million would be dead against 14.2 uh on the cap hit so they would save about six and a half million dollars there drake kirkpatrick is another guy we haven't really talked about i think he could get you know a mid-round pick somewhere they would save about eight million dollars on his deal Carlos Dunlap, if they met, if they decide to trade him, any of these guys, we're just talking about all the candidates, they would save again about six and a half million dollars on on Carlos Dunlap. So all those guys have potential savings. If they move on from Andy Dalton or trade Andy Dalton, seventeen million dollars in cap savings. Ooh. If they get rid of Cordy Glenn, say Glenn gets healthy and they decide ah, we just need to move assets, well, can trade Cordy Glenn, free up nine and a half million next year. So that is a lot of money. That's like $40, $50 million you can free up yeah. against the cap next year. And it's not like the Bengals are ever pressed hard up against that cap in the first place. No, but that would give them the flexibility to maybe open it up for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. And Lock and Forward did mention Cordy Glenn also. Because there's teams mm-hmm. that are thirsty out there for mm-hmm. offensive linemen, as the Bengals are. I mean, we take Cordy Glenn right now. And, and he, you know, he's been airing out the Bengals for now uh, six weeks. So... Yeah, I, I think there are some moves that could be made. I would like them. You mentioned Kirkpatrick. He actually had a, a pretty good quote, I, I think, at least was a little raw in terms of mm-hmm. uh, the reports and rumors and the idea of trading A.J. Green reacted probably how many of us would react in terms of you can't do that. He's the best player on the team. You know, he's so good. He's the guy we kind of rally around. If you do that, you're going to lose us all. And they're owing five already. So how much more are you going to lose, I think? And what I, it was my response to it. While I appreciated his his candor, I think at the same time, uh, let's trade Drake Kirkpatrick first if that's how he feels. I think it does make it tough for Zach Taylor, right, trying to establish a culture. And if you just lose all of your veteran leadership, that gets a little bit harder. Yeah. But then you start to think about the question of, well, is Zach Taylor your long-term guy anyway? How many chances does he get? If he's If this is another team... I think you're already talking about, okay, we're going to go and do another coaching search next year. I think the Bengals certainly give him at least, at least one more year, if not two. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, But if the Bengals do make some of these trades that we're talking about, they can load up on draft capital. They can position themselves. And I'm going to say this, and you're going to laugh at me, to spend money in free agency. I'm laughing. (laughs) 
Because because even without making trades, they're looking at sixty million in space next year. They make some of these moves, then maybe they're at a hundred million too, and they haven't traded their first round corner from last year or a good left tackle to do it. And then right. they're better off than Miami. They're not trading Jonah Williams to make this happen. Right. They're trading veterans that aren't part of the next deal. Because they traded, they had to trade their Laramie Tunzel at left tackle. They had to trade their Minka Fitzpatrick, where the Bengals aren't doing that because the Bengals are starting from a better spot in terms of veterans that are at the end of their career where the Dolphins really had none of those guys. They had to release all these guys about three years ago because they were up against the cap after signing in Dominican Sue and Cam Wake and, and Jarvis Landry. You know, guys, they all had to extend. They were they had to make some choices. And, uh, you know, we can see how the fallout of that happened. And that's what happens when you miss on a quarterback, right? That's the other part of this is when we'll get to it. But when the Dolphins missed on Tannehill – they didn't, weren't sure they missed. They geared up. They went for it. They they maximized their roster and their cap. Tannehill wasn't the guy. Couldn't stay healthy. And then they had to blow it up. And now here they are again a few years later. So that's kind of how it works. The Bengals are, could start from a better advantage, like you said, by trading these veterans, getting the picks back in return, having the open cap space, while still having the recent picks of Jonah Williams and Sam Hubbard and Jesse Bates and Joe Mixon. They've drafted better than the Dolphins have recently. Yeah, they they would have less draft capital than the Dolphins for sure because they got multiple first back for their very few assets. But you can pile up a bunch of mid-round assets and pile up money and we'll just see if the Bengals are committed to winning. This is the question. Do they know how to win? Can they commit to something that will suck in the short term to actually buy themselves a legitimate window? I think that's hilarious. Can they commit to something that sucks? Because I would I would say they, they've pretty committed to sucking so far this year. But knowingly. Right. Right. That's the difference. Can they admit to themselves that they were wrong and do the hard thing? Or is the hard thing even the right thing? I know a lot of you listening are going to disagree with this oh, approach. Yeah. And if you do, just get in the mentions. Let's have fun with it. Let's talk about it. Let's have some back and forth. Until you do that, Bengals fans, that's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.